Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns. This is episode number 169, number 169. Uh, forgive me for my sinuses today. I know I sound probably a little bit weird, but uh, I don't know if it's allergies or sinuses. One of the two is is definitely kicking in. So anyway, we're going to get this underway. Uh, as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can feel free to email them to me at kb. M-A-K-E-L at AOL.com, K-B-M-A-K-E-L at AOL.com, or you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean. So, uh, just talking about a couple things quick. Uh, you know, everybody, It's even though it happened about a month ago, everyone is still very surprised that Fox News took the Tucker Carlson show off the air. And there's no real good explanation. Yeah, I know they lost the Dominion lawsuit because they said bad things about the voting machines. I thought there was a First Amendment. If I were Dominion, I would have proven them wrong rather than trying to sue them. I mean, you know, that just seems to me to be a better way, but that's the way they chose to do it, so okay, that's that's how it is. Um, next thing is you know, was there some dust-up with a producer? Well, there always is on those shows. And they couldn't make that stick because he uses his own studio at his home. Um, you know, he's not wandering around the building. There's no opportunity for, for you know, a lot of the things that, that he could get accused of to happen. So I, I kind of thought about this for a little while, and then I, I kind of came to a realization that you know there there is a time when a personality gets too big for the organization they get too popular or they're a bigger brand than the news and i go back to when i was a kid walter cronkite was the news now there were other guys on other you know networks but none of them were even close to cronkite cronkite was the guy who changed tv network news from a 15 minute update to basically a half-hour news program. And he was an old wire service guy. He knew how to edit. He knew what to put on. He ran the show. He made CBS News. He made it. Um, he was he was the guy who designed modern news as we know it. Until Cronkite did that, uh, basically the, the news, as I said, was a 15-minute update that just kind of previewed for you what you would read in the newspaper the next day because everybody read the newspaper. Uh, that was one of the first things you read, and that's how you caught up on the news. And um, I can remember, and I'm sure a lot of people listening can remember, you know, the newspaper would either get delivered or you'd go buy one, and it'd come home, and, and somebody's grabbing the sports section, somebody's grabbing the comics, somebody's grabbing, you know, the other part, you know, the leisure living part. And so, you know, the newspaper was a little problematic because you wanted to kind of keep it all together so you could look through it. In our family, we had it that, my father got to read the newspaper first then if my mother wanted to read it she read it and then you know us kids could tear at and get at the sports section or whatever else but cronkite started to change all that and so the people started looking forward to the tv news because it was a lot more current and face it things like the kennedy assassination and all this stuff in the 60s um real-time reporting really kind of started then it wasn't just a 24 7 uh cable network cable news network phenomenon so as a matter of fact you know you'd get glued to the set if you were you're sitting there and all of a sudden they interrupted programming with a you know cbs news special report or you know nbc news you know special report you were glued to the set because it was happening right then and there but cronkite got too big i mean he was the most trusted news guy in america later in life he kind of turned into a liberal kind of weirdo but he was, he was considered the fair, accurate guy of record. However Cronkite said it is the way it was. And that's how he used to end his, end his broadcast. He'd say, that's the way it is, you know. And um, that's, the, that's the way that uh, he actually did it. And all of a sudden, uh, I guess it was in the 1970s, uh, Cronkite turned 65. And the CBS News says, hey, that's our mandatory retirement age you got to go, Walter. you got to go. So everybody kind of questioned that and said, you know, Cronkite's still a, a 
a vigorous, sharp man. Why would why would you take your number one guy, the guy who built your news, your news, your network news, into number one by far? Why would you take him off the air? And I think the answer is he got too big, and he was too much. And they would even take a hit in the ratings. They would even go to second or third place and replace him with a piece of garbage like Dan Rather. What a joke that guy was. And they would replace him with Dan Rather, an inferior replacement that they knew it, everybody knew it. And uh, that was it, because they didn't want Cronkite to become so big that he could snuff out CBS News. If he went to another channel or he went to another network, um, that would be it. CBS News would, would crumble. And they didn't want that to happen, so they got rid of him. Another guy that, that came became too big was, and I never really, I have mixed feelings on the guy, but this Bill O'Reilly guy. Bill O'Reilly built Fox News. In some ways, he was the Cronkite of Fox News. He ran this very tough, persuasive, remember, no spin zone, you know, where he would he would grill guests until he couldn't get them anymore. Um, but, you know, he was a guy who, who did that, and he built, he was popular. He was number one. And, you know, he got bigger and bigger, and he was the number one by far um, guy in his time slot against the other networks. He was the number one guy on their network as far as ratings went, the whole thing. Now, he had some girl problems, okay? Uh, apparently, he liked girls, and girls didn't really like him, so they'd kind of go out with him, and, you know... He, he was accused of all these other things of, of, you know, using his position to extort or to persuade women, you know, whatever, all of that. Probably true. And he paid personally millions of dollars to kind of get out of those situations. And uh, the other thing he did was, you know, the and the uh, uh, network paid a few million bucks to get him out of those situations. But the guy was number one, and the guy was the biggest. But they used that as an excuse to get rid of him. And they, you know, after a brief period of time, they replaced him with Tucker Carlson, who is now, was now, the biggest name on Fox, was the number one guy. So there, there is this emerging, or I should say it's an emerging trend, but there's been this trend all along that, if somebody gets too good or too popular in the news, um, they get taken out by their own people, by their own people, because they're afraid of the influence that they may have. I just thought it's very odd. Uh, Carlson doesn't pull the company line when it comes to Ukraine and all the rest of it. You know, he kind of helped expose the fact that this Zelensky guy has ripped us off for about 400 million bucks. You know, and I mean, how much more of this are we going to take? I just, you know, I'll get to that in a minute. Let me finish up with this. But anyway, they took down Carlson, it, and now they've replaced. They're going to replace him with Hannity, old dog Hannity, old partisan, Republican versus Democrat. Anything R is good. Anything D is bad. Um, you know, face it. Um, it's just not that interesting. Hannity will never be that big but they're willing to take the hit because they are more afraid of a popular Tucker Carlson and they would rather stick with a suboptimal face it low performing Sean Hannity who's you know Hannity's getting up there too a little bit so he's he's not the young kind of brash guy he was you know he's this guy now he does have I guess he he has dumped his spouse and is now um, in a relationship with the insipid Ainsley Earhart. But anyway, you know, that's all. And you know what? If that becomes a problem for the network, Hannity can pack his bags because they're not going to put up with it. They, You know, these guys, they don't want a guy like Carlson who's so big that when they get rid of him, there's this huge backlash. They want a bunch of little Hannity's and, and Brett Bears and all the rest of these guys who they can squash and nobody will really notice. That's what they're really looking at. 
And uh, let me let me just go into the Zelensky in Ukraine thing. First of all, if you've been watching some of the printed media, and I hate to, pa- I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm going to pat myself on the back. Everybody's coming to the realization, yeah, all those T-54s and T-55s are not being used as like main battle tanks to try to knock out leopards and other things that the Ukrainians have. They're using them as mobile artillery and as basically assault guns. And I, I told you that's what they were going to do. Um, that's what they're going to do. When you're fighting in a place like Bakhmut and you got you see a building that the enemy's in, you could bring up one of these and with direct fire, you can, you know, smoke that building. And that's kind of what they're doing. They can also put them in defensive positions and uh, kill a lot of things on the battlefield. So, um, you know, it's not the stupid, desperate, ignorant move that they're trying to tell you it is. And, you know, um, I don't know. I, I think $400 million is a lot of money. And I don't like it that, you know, it always seems to me suspicious. The president of Afghanistan, when he fled the country, and just saying something as ridiculous as president of Afghanistan or prime minister, whatever whatever goofy title that this figurehead had, that dude left the country with a lot of money, and that money did not come from Brazil. That money did not come from Japan. That was our tax money that these guys are running away with. They have to stop this. They have to stop giving these people millions of dollars and making them exceptionally wealthy people. And they're stealing from us as taxpayers to do it. This has to stop. These, we have to stop these corrupt governments. Even if it means telling the Ukrainians, sorry, sorry, Charlie, can't help you. You guys, you guys are ripping us off. Sorry can't help you anymore that's what we need to do but as long as we have the sharp cogent incisive leaders like california senator diane feinstein as long as we have feinstein in the government um we're hapless they just, you know, they were, they, I, the funny part is they, she just returned to the Capitol after, you know, having shingles for four months. And if you, I've never had shingles, I took the vaccine, but I've known people who've had it. It's a very painful, very, it's not a very nice thing to have happen to you. Why she didn't get the inoculation, I don't know, but anyway. Um, so, you know, they show her returning to the Capitol and, and the first couple stories, they, they show pictures of Diane Feinstein like 25 years ago. And, you know, she looks like a woman in her late 60s or, or early 70s. You know, I mean, she, she certainly looks, you know, fine. But the actual pictures that you actually see is they were wheeling her into the, the Capitol. And she's in a wheelchair. And she looks like she's 150 years old. I mean, she she looks like those poor apple face dolls that they used to make of the dried apple, and you know looks looks incredibly frail and ancient. And apparently, when people were asking her, Diane, it's so great to have you back, she was saying, "What do you mean, have me back? I've been here the whole time voting." She's physically and mentally completely incapacitated, completely. Uh, you know, this is. We, we need people in the government who can govern. We don't need Fettermans who can't understand what's being said to them. And he gets elected senator. And apparently that's a very a lot more traumatic than I thought because he had to go into the hospital for, for uh, depression or whatever else. It was gone for like two months because he was being treated for a mental condition. Then we have Feinstein who is, who is clearly clearly incapable of of doing her job we have pelosi who's clearly incapable of doing her job and there's others there's mcconnell there's all these people who are in their 80s you know we it shows you we have to have some mandatory retirement ages (laughs) for for the government officials or we have to have term limits we have to have one of those two things and, and hopefully maybe even both. I mean, um, 
it's just it, it's it's starting to get it's almost a satire it's watching the government in Washington with Biden with all these Feinstein Fetterman Pelosi I'll throw McConnell in there it's like watching a Monty Python skit it's it's getting it's getting to be terrible and you know this open corruption that's happening has just got to stop and these these people are incapable of stopping it Biden can't even control his own crooked son all the stuff coming out about that and then they refuse to they refuse to answer any questions about it and Corinne Jean-Pierre has to has to cower and ignominiously scurry away from the podium because they know he's dirty and we find all this stuff about you know the FBI the FBI is another problem I mean those guys aren't even old look how crooked that is I don't know how any FBI agent can stay in the FBI if you're a person of conscience I assume they're all they're all bad because if you're a good person you'd leave your organizations doing that the political the, the stuff they're uncovering is incredible it's incredible and you know deliberately trying to sabotage the Trump White House using the Justice Department and the FBI is criminal and the people who do that need to go to prison without parole maybe that will teach them I mean you know it goes on the people who should know the best and who should know better are the people who are doing the worst things and that is unconscionable and that has to stop but as long as we have Feinstein on the job why she'll she'll keep a keep an eye on them another another genius another absolute genius is there's some guy who's a, San, a former San Francisco 49er looks like a just a dope you know kind of guy who just can't get over football and can't get over himself and so he threatens to do something to Saulwell you know I'm gonna end you or I'm gonna stop you whatever it is Eric Saulwell who's also I kind of like to call him sewage well because that's what the guy is he was the one who was compromised by the communist Chinese intelligence service and in fact he can't even get a seat on he was appointed by his his leader to the intelligence committee and they refused to seat him because Republicans are in charge now and they basically said no this guy's a dirtbag he was compromised he can't be here and sewage well the guy who's all offended because some ex-49er says something about him some sort of threat I mean and, and it's not right making threats and it's also not right that just a few years ago Eric Sewagewell made threats against gun owners of America because he uh, not the organization but the gun owners in America because he said you know we have nuclear weapons he threatened gun owners with nuclear weapons now that's equally as stupid pedantic and and just mentally bereft of, of any anything but he did that and he never had to answer for it he's threatening to use nuclear weapons on people if that's not a terrorist threat I don't know what is so it's crazy what it's the what's good for you know do what's good for these not good for me so they don't have to they don't have to get accountable when they threaten millions of American citizens with nuclear weapons as stupid and as and it's just abjectly mentally retarded as that is I mean uh, it's it's no it's no less of a deal than some some probably punch drunk ex-football player you know who who says something it's insanity and it has to stop absolute insanity on the bad news side you know just when I thought the NRA was kind of recovering and and, and kind of finding its feet again um, of course they they dish rag Willis Lee retired US Army Lieutenant Colonel West Point graduate uh, all-around good dude guy who's just committed to the Second Amendment I mean he is he is awesome so Willis Lee is out he was first vice president he should have 
by the, <laughs> the by the royal succession they do in the NRA, um, he should have been the president of the NRA and would have been a very good one. Instead, they're keeping, I guess it's Charles Cotton. I don't even keep track of him anymore. I don't even keep track because, well, frankly, um, you know, they don't do anything. So, um, and apparently that's gonna that's gonna continue because they kept Charles Cotton, and they've they've uh, replaced Lee with. And this guy will probably become the president, this Bob Barr guy. Um, I think he was a former congressman. And yeah, you know, just kind of a, I don't know, not a guy who really, um, why can't we go back to Charlton Heston? Those were so great. When you, The president of the NRA was this guy with a steely glaze and a, you know, you know, kind of a thick jawline, good jawline, and you know, could speak in public. Instead, we now get the the eighty year old Charles Cotton that no one's ever heard speak, and is essentially a puppet. So, see how that goes. Hopefully, Willis Lee can find some way to. He's still on the board with seventy five other people. We'll see how it goes. Okay, getting into some gun stuff after twenty minutes. Um, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I continue to make <laughs> is trying to help people on Facebook. Uh, there's, I, I belong to some of the gun, to a lot of the gun groups, the ones that, you know, kind of pertain to me. I don't, I, there's some that I don't, uh, am not members of, but most of them. And so one poor guy, he bought a 1903 Springfield rifle. The receiver and barrel had been finished in blue. This is obviously a rifle that was Bubba sporterized at one point and quote restored quote unquote back to service condition by putting military stock and, and all the little bits on it. So it, it looks like a 1903 service rifle but in, in point of fact if you examine it, it, it is one that has been redone and apparently, apparently the enough of the serial number was obscured or obliterated so that he could see that it only started with a seven and the barrel was also a 1917 barrel you know 317 or something so um he he, he posed very you know what do i have here you know tell me about my rifle well i told him what exactly what he has and some idiot took horrible um you know took horrible umbrage to that and what i basically told him was look what you have is a refinished low number springfield rifle that although a lot of low number rifles served for decades experts believe that you probably should not shoot them because they're single heat treat and they're they're brittle they're in various degrees of being brittle so you know unfortunately he did not really get a great deal um my view and i did not write this but my view on low number springfields are um there is a risk and the only reason to own one is if you have one because it was your grandfather's hunting rifle he didn't really know it was low number nobody really paid any attention to that way back in the day and so you have it as a as a heirloom the only other reason to have one is you want a absolutely correct World War One example of a World War One Springfield, which for most part would be low number, um, or a pre-World War One Springfield. You know, if you, if you as a collector, if you want that, if you want a gun that you can shoot that you can are planning to shoot a lot, uh, you need to go with another option, a high number double heat treat one one of the ones made out of nickel steel one of the ones made by remington um and that you know the the numbers on these are, are fairly fairly cut and dry for rock island armory which had a much smaller and slower production of springfields you want to go with anything above 285,507 is good to go uh, that's when they switched over to making nickel steel receivers um the problem went away. The other receivers, the low number ones, single heat treat ones, that was a problem. When they went to nickel steel, they also 
instituted other processes and, and that's good. With Springfield Armory, it's a lot more muddled. Somewhere, they started converting to double heat treat. Nobody knows where that is. Some people say it's above 750,000. Uh, the problem is, is that when they heat treated these things, they were not serialized at the time. So some earlier receivers that were single heat treat got later serial numbers. So it's possible you could have an 800,000 and one serial numbered receiver and it's single heat treat but 799,999 is double heat treat. Nobody knows. The only way to do it is destructive testing which of course destroys it. So we just don't know. Um, they used to have the cutoff at 800,000 but then they started finding single heat treat receivers up in like 805,000 because these things had been made and for whatever reason they did not go through the the process they got mixed up with other ones so now the CMP who really is the final authority on this because the army doesn't care anymore there's no more DCM director of civilian marksmanship so they say 810,000 we know we've never found a single heat treat receiver above that and if you want to participate in any of these matches that's run by the CMP and I'm not talking about club level but I'm talking about you know the ones at Camp Atterbury or, or Anniston or some other place they actually check your serial number anything under 810,000 sorry it's no dice no dice and this was considered a very serious problem low number receivers were a serious problem so serious that in World War One they stopped Springfield production so they could correct this problem and part of the problem was they were single heat treating bolts and receivers and they were getting some failures the other problem was they were incorrectly heat treating these things because they were not they were using they were doing it by eye and if it glowed a certain way they would just eyeball it and say yeah that's good go ahead and dunk it you know in the oil that quenches it but on a cloudy day or a sunny day that glow would look different so there was different levels of heat treating and some of those receivers are very very brittle and in fact they failed because they were so brittle uh, they had to install a new heat treating process and also a new pyrometer yeah yeah pyrometer which is a, a little scope thing that you look through and it can tell you by you look at the metal and how it's glowing and it'll tell you what temperature it is so you always know what the temperature is by introducing these things they did it you cannot reheat treat a, a low number Springfield receiver because it's kind of like frying an egg once you've burned the egg there's no going back you can't unburn the egg so once these things become brittle through the process they had that's it they're, they're over with and all low number receivers are brittle some are brittle to the point where they failed now there are places where statistically they will say look you know they, they produced about a million of these things and very few of them are recorded as failing and you know they go on and on so therefore you're mathematically your chance of you know of one of these things failing is very very small that's that's all you can accept that if you want to but it's all poppycock i have seen i have seen low number receivers and it's only been a couple but they failed when they were drill rifles for rotc you know they get they get slammed on the on the deck when they're doing their their close order drill and things and that would cause the receiver to break right at the rail. I mean, when you see that, you go, holy, holy shit. I didn't know that could happen, but it does. Uh, I did know um, there was a case of a gunsmith who was rebarreling a low number receiver. And the receiver fell off the end of his bench, hit a concrete floor, and broke. I mean, and this was oh, probably 20 years ago. So the number of, of receivers that have failed has never been really accurately recorded. I will also say that I think that 
you know, if you're, there are a lot of, there, there have to be a lot of receivers that failed during a rebarreling process. Um, that's just the way that went. And in fact, you know, during the rebuild process for a long time, um, they would, if it was a low number receiver, they would just pull it out and destroy it. They wouldn't even bother to rebuild it. They would just, they would strip it of all its usable parts, throw those in the parts bin, destroy the receiver because it just wasn't worth dealing with. I do know that during World War II, that um, the, you know, hey, the need for rifles was we're going to kind of use the low number ones. And so you will find a low number rifle occasionally uh, with a with a World War II replacement barrel. And that was simply because they assessed the risk and basically said, we, we will go ahead and just use these. We need rifles. So, but after the war, um, they yanked those things out where they survived was in foreign service so you can't find a low number rifle that probably has served for decades and is probably perfectly fine but the risk is there because you just don't know there's no indicator that tells you whether you've got a a good one or a bad one or if it's gonna you know you can put another hundred rounds through it it's fine maybe you put 10 rounds through it and it breaks so you know there's no real way to, to do that and I know that for the DCM the old director of civilian marksmanship, they had a program where if you had in civilian hands a low number receiver, um, you could take that receiver, mail it to them, and they would mail you a high number receiver. Now, when we talk about numbers, any of the guns made by Remington, the World War II, the, the Remington 03s, 03A3s, none of this applies to them. They're all good. They're, they're all good. Same thing with the 1917s. They were all made out of nickel steel. This is a Springfield deal uh you know and there's no wishing away this problem that my problem with this facebook dude was I, I explained to the original poster what it was and then some guy decides to jump on and he says uncle sam's archive letter da, 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 da. I, and i have no idea what this guy's talking about he's not even using correct terminology um there is no u.s government document that i know that says go ahead your your low number springfield is fine there's no there's no document that says that in any way shape or form uh they may have said yes as an emergency let's use these rifles but you know we really don't want to but we will um other issues with it are is that you know <clears throat> any letter anything you find on the internet or in facebook groups i mean you have to assume it's it's false that it's been forged i mean Remember, remember the guys in the National Archives that found the Majestic 7 documents? Those were these UFO documents, and it's like, hey, these things are in the National Archives. And they found out later, dudes had smuggled them in there. Because people will check you on your way out of the National Archives to make sure you're not stealing anything, but they really don't check you on the way in to make sure you're not introducing something. So they're looking around, and they're sticking these, these documents into the boxes and then someone else comes along and quote unquote finds them and oh it's it was in the national archives must be real um th there's a lot of fake documents out there there's a lot of documents that have been altered and it's all about confirmation bias yes if i could i would love to wave a magic wand and all low number springfields would be wonderful just like high number springfields just like remington springfields uh, just like Smith Corona Springfields, you know, they would all be wonderful. But you can't wish a problem away. Metallurgy is metallurgy, and there's no there's no documentation that someone is going to show me, which is going to convince me any different. Because we had real experts, and that was a hundred years ago, but they were real experts who stopped Springfield rifle production to fix this problem. If it hadn't been a problem, they would have said, hey, forget it. Uh, another thing this blowhard was telling me, you know, on the deal was, well, they put in the hatcher hole and these other things, you know, to, to vent the gas, and so the receiver didn't have as much strength. That is, that is completely untrue. Gas venting does not make a receiver more survivable. It just vents gas away from, from uh, the shooter's face. And they're not even completely... The hatcher hole is not even completely 
uh, satisfactory at that. You will still get if a case ruptures, you will still get a lot of um, a lot of stuff back in your face. But they used to go just straight down into the magazine, and and you know you have the the horrible situation of of, of that. So it would blow some of it out the uh, left side of the rifle. But a lot of these low number guns never even got that modification. So you cannot completely trust them. Now, I'll say this. I own a low number Springfield. I have fired it. I fired it before I knew that there were a problem with low number Springfields because that's kind of like old information that unless you kind of pass it along, someone will buy a rifle and they will not know that there is a difference between that and a later Springfield which is been manufactured to a higher standard and to different standards to prevent this brittle problem. Um, I would say that if you have a low number Springfield, I never recommend to anybody they shoot them. Uh, what I would, what I say to people is, um, if I were going to shoot it, what I would do is, if you want to be completely safe, load cast bullets. Most people don't want to do that, but you can. You can load cast bullets and be very successful. Um, a lot of these guns do not have pristine barrels. Low number rifles were early, so if they have their original barrel, chances are it's not a pristine, great shooting barrel anyway. So shooting a cast bullet in it is not a bad idea because you can size the bullet to fit the worn bore, and hey, you're you're you know you've restored maybe some accuracy at least out to 100 yards or 200 yards. If you don't want to do that and you want to shoot a full metal jacket bullet, then I would say go to the go through the go through the loading data. You have to hand load this. You have to go through and find the the lowest safe, the lowest pressure safe data. And, you know, I would use that. And I would feel that that you then you have done everything you can do, but you're still taking a risk that it could let go. But um you know, it's it's one of those things. Don't don't get too just because it looks ex, two receivers that look exactly alike are different, and it's the metal, and you can't change the metal. And like I said, no memo, no scientific, you know, statistics study on risk and how many reported failures there were and all that is really going to change my mind. I know that that is not as good as it appears it's just the way it is and uh you know we can't we can't uh delude ourselves about it and it doesn't mean that people who have them are bad people or if you bought one by mistake you've made a horrible mistake no just realize the limitations you have i, I would just say that you know the sad part is in this original facebook post the guy intimated, you know, you can't put a price on there. You have to talk in code. So he paid $595 for this Springfield. Um, that was probably a horrible buy. Horrible. Uh, because it had been refinished, because the serial number is partially obliterated, and because it's low number. Uh, yeah, you know. Um, I almost that's so bad you almost wonder if a post like that is a troll post but you know there are people who they don't know what they're buying when I bought my first Springfield as a kid I did not know that the number 520,000 XXX whatever it is I didn't know that that was I never would have bought had I known I never would have bought it but I did buy it I didn't pay a lot for it which you know is kind of okay now but um you know, would I hand it to my wife with uh, ball M2 ammunition and let her shoot it? No. Even though I've shot it, I wouldn't let my son shoot it. No. Even though I've shot it. It just, it, it depends where you are with the risk. Okay, with that diatribe uh, over with, we can get to some questions and answers. And guess what? The first question has to do with Springfields. So, awesome, awesome. Here is the first question. Did you see Henry Chan's video on the O3A3 at 500 yards? I did. Um, 
Yeah, I thought it was a lot of whining, to be honest with you. I mean, he's not familiar with that gun, so he doesn't understand. He doesn't like the sights. And a lot of people like thicker sights. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Depends. I think he was having trouble seeing the target. And thus, um, it the, the times he missed was because he couldn't see the target, not because there was anything wrong with the rifle or the sights. So it's, you know, again, it's entertainment. But uh, the thing that thing that really uh, stands out is the O3A3 will, will hit a man-sized target 500 yards, really without much of a problem. So, but, you know, as, as we get older and as our expectations change, uh, sights become a, a big problem. And uh, some of the older sighting systems just don't, uh, just aren't popular and just don't, aren't as comfortable. If I were him, I would have had maybe someone who's familiar with that gun shoot that course and, and or have both of them shoot it and then they could compare their results. I think that, I think that would actually be a better format for me because then you're just not seeing one point of view, you're seeing two. So I think that would be actually a lot better. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's asking a lot to ask a person to take a, a wide variety of rifles and shoot successfully to 500 yards. Um, my deal is though that if you're gonna if you're gonna put all that effort into the video, then paint the targets or do whatever it is you need to do so you can see them. Because it's not a drill about can you see the target. It's a drill about how the rifle allegedly does. So anyway, see what they do. Have you seen the Rhineland Arms 2000 Precision Rifle? Uh, yes, I, I have not seen one. I've just seen them on on the computer screen. Uh, they look like the old Walther WA2000, which was, you know, sort of this sniper rifle thing that came out in the 80s. I don't know that it was ever popular. I don't know that very many of them, if any, were actually imported. Uh, it was a semi-automatic 7.62 NATO rifle. Um, it had this kind of cool thumbhole stock. It was all wood. This stock was all wood. Uh, it had a rail above the barrel that, that the uh, bipod went onto, so the barrel was basically free-floated. A very cool-looking design. Um, you know, it just never caught on, and I think part of the reason it never caught on was people didn't appreciate semi-automatic precision rifles at that point. I think it was, the price point was probably very high, and it never really caught on, but it was very cool. And this was in an era when thumbhole stocks were cool. They weren't they weren't a compliance uh, thing to get something imported that nobody wanted. Only very high-end like target or varmint rifles had thumbhole stocks so this this was kind of the same way uh it, it looks really good i don't know what they cost uh, supposedly there's a 300 blackout probably a 556 and i think they're going to make a 308 version um you know if you've always wanted one and could never get one this is a way to do it you could actually do it you know in a smaller uh more manageable caliber so that's it'd be cool. I I don't know. I I think that's something you buy because you want it, and its performance is really secondary to having it as a uh, a cherished item that you can be proud of and and showed people. So that's how that works. Um, they also have a they also have a manually operated. FG42 type rifle takes 556 feeds the magazines a 20 round magazine in from the side like the FG42 did again it's not going to fool anybody you you know it's not a real FG42 but you know it's there uh, the the killer deal on that for me is it's a straight pull rifle and the actuating lever is on the uh, same side as for a right-handed shooter you'd be you'd be using your your right hand your trigger trigger hand uh, doing that that just doesn't seem very fun to me so if we're on the other side yeah like an FAL is you might might be able to say that you know there's there's some utility there but um, it's just a range toy that looks like the uh, 
looks enough like an FG. It's a range toy, and so that's it. Same as the uh, FG9, the the MG, the FG42 that looks like that's in nine millimeter. That really, you know, isn't. But it's kind of a cool little gun, you know. I mean, hey, all those guns are fun, and that's you know, I I go back to my original thing when I started the podcast. Guns should be fun. They they are here for fun. They're not. They don't always have to be these. You know, think that you're hoisting the ultimate killing machine or whatever else. Guns should be fun, whether it's for target shooting or whatever else uh, it is. You know, defense is just one of the uses for a firearm. There are a whole lot of other ones. Okay. I have a Vertelli. A Vertelli. Vertelli. Uh, that's kind of a... <clears throat> pardon me. An old black powder... The Swiss had them. The Italians had them. The Italians upgraded theirs to 6.5 Carcano as an emergency measure in World War One. I. I and so this question is: I have one of these in 6.5 Carcano. Is it safe to shoot? Well, the answer is no, 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 no. Um, it, again, if you load it down, if you hand load yourself, you can probably do that. Um, if you and the reason I know this is, I have a friend who has one. And he is reticent to shoot it. He's not going to shoot it. I know another guy. Uh, I don't know another guy. I, I've known two guys who've had them. One guy won't shoot his, and the other guy just sold his. The <clears throat> only other thing I know about these is um, I think they blew up two or three of them on CN Arsenal when they were doing their video on it. So, um, you know, hey, it just... It's a black powder cartridge rifle that for an emergency was so they would have ammo commonality. Uh, probably wasn't a good idea. Anything made for a black powder cartridge probably should not be converted to a smokeless cartridge. That's just what I say about that. Okay, here's another question. This was sent in by a listener named Jason. And he has an M1 Garand. 1945 Winchester failure to extract. A Winchester M1 Garand is a very nice rifle, a very nice gun to have. Um, you know, they're they're no better than the Springfield Armory ones, but they're just they have a cool factor because they are Winchester. So um, I really like Winchester M1 Garands. Failure to extract is usually. There's, there's usually a whole list of, of maladies that can that can cause that. The first thing to do is check and make sure your gas plug is tight. A loose gas plug, yeah, well, that'll create problems. The, the problem with the, a failure to extract is usually the system is under-gassed. So it's losing gas somewhere. The first place it can lose gas is that, is that uh, gas plug on the end. You also might want to check and just make sure that that gas plug is a USGI one, not one of these aftermarket ones that they've sold, which are adjustable, because it could be in there and adjusted all the way uh, open so that you know all the gas is going out the front and not going back and actuating the action. The reason I say that is because some guys used to like to do that so they could shoot different bullet weights in an M1 that normally wouldn't be there or they and they would hand cycle the the grand action why they do this I, I you know I do not know but but people have done that the next thing to do is to make sure that the you know clean the end of your op rod and clean out the gas piston itself a lot of times those can get some old crud carbon deposits in there and that might be slowing down the action or, fa- or causing it to 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 fail to extract. If if you've done all three of those things, you've cleaned the operating and you still have the problem, I would then take the gas piston off and make sure that your your barrel port, the gas port in the barrel, is clear. You know that that ought to be pretty easy. Just make sure that something hasn't gotten in there that's preventing the gas from getting into the. Uh, gas piston and, and pushing the op rod. If all those things fail, uh, then there's two other options that that are neither and they're not great options. One is is your chamber so pitted 
that the case is adhering to the sides of it and the brass when it expands when the when the cartridge is fired is grabbing on to all these pits and things in there and not moving back that could be a possibility usually not but it could be uh, the next thing is that somehow there's some parts that are out of specification and they and go to you can get gauges yourself and do it if you're if you're really super handy and know what you're doing um, but probably for less expense you can find an M1 Garand and there, there, there are still gunsmiths around who are very familiar with the Garand and they'll have the tools and they'll measure and say hey your op rod is undersized so therefore the gas is going around it or your gas piston is oversized and it's causing gas to escape uh, you get those two things measured um, that's usually going to be what it is so it's usually a problem with gas not having seen the rifle I can't say um, you know also look at <laughs> look at the ammunition I would I would I would do two different things I would make sure I'm using a different end block clip and I would um, uh, also make sure that I'm using GI spec ammo and go from there and just go from there it's going to be a little bit of trial and error to figure out what this is but my the other the other thing it could be is a loose gas piston uh, that's causing gas to escape uh, could be something like that so I would be you know you, the best thing to do is after the first three things making sure if that doesn't correct it then take it to a grand smith they will they will know which part basically uh, is the culprit and will you know direct you in the right direction to get that replaced so that is it for this edition of old school guns the podcast that tells you exactly like it is and as always if you have any questions or comments you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com kbmakel at aol.com and you know that's about it so until next time this is old school guns out <laughs>